Welcome to the 126th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk in-depth about college basketball action and take a look at the NCAA tournament bubble as it stands today. So let's jump right in with a look back at college ball, basketball action from the last week, starting as always with the upsets. Patrick? Well, we already talked a little bit about the upset-filled Saturday, and that doesn't. I'm not even including some of the games that I picked on my weekend predictions because... Actually, weren't upset, surprisingly, but let's move on. Number 23, St. Mary's, beat number one, Gonzaga, 67-57 to at the end of a very, very crazy day in college basketball. But before all that happened, Colorado beat number two, Arizona, which is also a big upset, uh, 79-63. to That was also in the late slot. There were a lot of games last Saturday. It's hard to keep track of when these games were, but those West Coast games that were late were really fun. Uh, then you had Michigan State beating number four, Purdue, 68 to 65. That was on Saturday morning. Uh, then you have TCU beating number nine, Texas Tech, 69 to 66. Going to be quite honest, I don't remember if that game was Saturday or Sunday. I think it was Saturday, though, because I know for a fact that Maryland beating number 22, Ohio State, 75 to 60, was on Sunday. And uh, that's a bad, bad, bad loss. Ohio State's lucky that wasn't on the road. Otherwise, that's not necessarily a resume killer, but that is one that might knock you down a scene line, maybe even two if you were on the low end of a scene line. But uh, a little bit of foreshadowing, that was not as bad as it would get for Ohio State in this week alone. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But TCU beat number six, Kansas, 74-64 to uh, in, the set, in the first game of a little bit of a home-and-home, home, kind of like a football schedule, except for within the span of two days <laughs> instead of uh, the span of two years like college football teams tend to do it. Uh, I think one of these, I don't know which one, but one of these games is a makeup game from earlier in the year. Uh, so TCU playing Kansas at home in this game, winning that game, and then we'll see what happened in the road game later on. But moving on to that real resume killer for Ohio State, they're not on the bubble quite yet. They're, I don't think they, I mean, there's not enough time in the season for them to move on to it. But Nebraska beat number 23, Ohio State. 78-70 to 70 on the road. That is a resume killer. That is one of the worst losses you could have as a good team. And the reason why I say that, I'm not saying there aren't worse teams out there. There are plenty. Georgia, Oregon State, to name a few. But if you're a good team, you don't lose to those teams, period. I'm talking about ability now. I'm not talking about in the inevitable world of Every single possibility. Uh, not everything is possible in this case. If you're talking about talent, this is probably the worst loss Ohio State could pick up this year. And also, everybody talks about the Big Ten, how when it gets down to the stretch of the year, almost everything's a quad one game. This is the walk in the park game, and this is the one, I mean, this is a walk in the park, and it, it, they can't even, like, find the parking lot of the park. I mean, they don't know where they're going right now. But uh, we'll talk about what happened to Ohio State later in the week, which makes this even more confusing uh, especially because before this, they also beat Illinois on the road after losing to Iowa at home. So you look at their last five games, and we'll get to the fifth one in a second. I have no idea what this team's doing. I, I don't know if they're trying to like throw some stuff at the committee and see if like they stay. They want to see. They want to test Lenardi for the most unpredictable team ever. I don't know what they're doing, uh, but. It's confusing me, and I think they're probably even confused themselves how they were able to go on the road and beat Illinois and pretty much knock them out of title contention in the Big Ten. I mean, 
they they pretty much forced the share of the title for, that Wisconsin ended up getting. Uh, but they forced a lot of stuff to happen after that win, but also somehow losing those other games that they did. I can't really explain it. Uh, the Maryland loss on the road is just one of those natural... You know, it's a big upset, but it's not as big. Maryland does have talent. They were actually ranked preseason, I think, maybe two or three spots below Ohio State. But as we know, Coach retired in the middle or stepped down in the middle of the season, that being Mark Turgeon. And they still have the talent to be a good team. but uh, So that's not too surprising. But the Nebraska loss is just inexplicable, honestly. But let's move on from that to another loss that I think is honestly really inexplicable. Texas A&M beat number 25 Alabama 87-71. to on the road, on Alabama Senior Night. If you know anything about Alabama, this team plays right to the level of their con- their contest, competition, I should say, every single game. Even if they can play Baylor, and they'll play like a top five team. They can play Gonzaga, they'll beat them by 15. They'll play, they'll play Kentucky, they'll play them close. But then they'll play Georgia, and they'll lose. They'll play Missouri, and they'll lose. And now, add Texas A&M to that list, I will say, Texas A&M is actually surging onto the bubble and have been in that conversation for most of the year, However, uh, which means they're not Missouri or Georgia. However, losing that game on, on your own floor on senior night is just, it's just really tough. That's a really bad game by Alabama, especially losing that game by so much. It's not even like they kept it close and A&M got lucky. They just straight up stopped playing basketball in the second half. Uh, they didn't do anything well, and that's the reason they lost. I mean, they, you can't really make any excuses for them. They just did not play well, and uh, they deserve to lose, but it's a really bad loss. All right, well, let's move from the upsets to some other close games. Well, these ones could classify as upsets by the rankings, but the reality is they're not really upsets if you look at how Vegas thought of them. Number 17, Tennessee beat number 3, Auburn, 67-62. to 62. Talked about this on the last podcast. Same as the next two, so really quickly, number 10, Baylor beat number 5, Kansas, 80 to 70. Number 18, Arkansas beat number 6, Kentucky, 75 to 73. Let's move on to the games that we didn't talk about yet. Number 13, Wisconsin beat Rutgers 66 to 61 on the road. Wisconsin had a chance to win two games and seal up pretty much the Big Ten title uh, in the regular season. This was the first of those two games that they were able to win this game and then beat Purdue at home. They would have clinched that title. And well, we'll see if they did, but this was a huge first step. Uh, It's a big deal for Rutgers to lose this game. If they had won this game, they'd probably have all but guaranteed their spot in the tournament, barring a really bad loss to Penn State, or which is their last game of the season. We'll talk about that later. Um, or maybe somebody really bad in the Big Ten tournament. But uh, they weren't able to come up with it, and now all of a sudden they're kind of staying on the bubble. Those bad losses from the beginning of the season, including Lafayette, who's not even in the top 300 in the net, are still looming large. So they still have a bad resume in terms of the losses, but their wins, obviously... Kind of overshadow that, but this would have been another good one to pick up. Unfortunately, not able to do it. But let's move on from Wisconsin to number 16, USC, who beat Oregon 70-69 to on the road. Uh, Oregon had an opportunity to win this game. They were up by two, and then they decided, hmm, Drew Peterson, USC's probably best three-point shooter, probably one of the better ones in the Pac-12, maybe probably top three or four shooter in the Pac-12 for sure. And uh, what, what what should we do when we're up by two on him? I have a good idea. Let's go under the screen and let him shoot a wide open three. That sounds like a great idea with five seconds left in the game. Uh, so, yeah, Oregon deserved to lose that game, plain and simple. Uh, USC hung in there. Oregon made it tough on them. 
And then on the last possession of the game, all that go making it tough on USC just kind of went away and they said, okay, you make an open three, you win the game, you miss an open three, you lose the game. Uh, and they, uh, well, they made it. <laughs> um, but credit to USC for winning this game. Obviously, everybody knows I'm not very high on this team. Uh, but honestly, I- I've gotten to the point where I think everybody realizes that if you actually look at their resume, and there was another game later in the week that really dictated uh, where this team stands. Uh, if you look at their resume, they're, they're a five or a six seed. I mean, right now they're a six seed. They need a lot of other teams ahead of them to lose to become a five. But they've been kind of hovering between five and six seed. When the tournament committee made their first top 16, they mentioned three other teams who were not a part of the top 16 that they were thinking about putting in there. USC wasn't one of them, and that was before they suffered a lot of losses. I think they still had three losses at the time. So when you look at it, it's always been a thing that they've at least, at the very best, been a very, very, very low five seed. At best, been a high six seed. That, obviously, after they had lost. I mean, obviously, they were undefeated in non-conference, and when they were, what, 15 or 16 and 0, then obviously they were higher than that. But uh, as soon as they started losing some games, that's where they ended up, and I think... That's honestly a fair evaluation of them. I, I don't think there are, I don't think there are thirty teams better than them. But I also don't think I also do think that there are probably twenty teams better than them, which lands you at about a six seed. So I think that's pretty even. But uh, I think everybody knows the caliber of this team. I, I mean, maybe for some people they think they're good enough to beat a three seed. I definitely don't think so. I, I'm not saying that I'm going to pick an eleven to beat them, no matter who that eleven is. But uh, th- they could be upset prone. Who knows? I mean. You know what happens in the tournament. You never know what's going to happen. Every single time there's a predictable upset, it feels like that's the upset that never happens. And the one that you don't think is going to happen is because that's the nature of March Madness. That's why we call it madness. But let's move on from USC to a team who's made some madness in the past. Number 18, Murray State beat Southeast Missouri State 70-68 to on the road. If you did not know, other than John Morant, this team's entire starting five is still intact, believe it or not. Uh, except for, I think, one other guy who I can't... Uh, put my finger on his name right now, but they also have their sixth man who is now a starter on this team, uh, and then some other bench guys who, uh, back then at least, who are still there. And also Loyola Chicago still has some players from their Final Four run, in case you cared. Uh, but Murray State, this was uh, the game the game after their senior night where all those players got their uh, ceremonies for them. I think they have six seniors, and I think all of them were on that team with John Morant because, you know, he's a second-year player. He left as a sophomore. Uh, so they, they're all true seniors, and... Uh, they're probably going to be leaving that program, but they're leaving on a really good year. Uh, people thought that it wouldn't get much higher for Murray State than having John Morant as a number two overall pick and getting that 12 seed in the tournament. They're saying goodbye to the 12 seed. They're going to be an eight seed. I mean, they're going to be higher than that if they're able to win their conference tournament and depending on some other chaos that might happen. Although that's a blessing and a curse because right now they're kind of sitting in the place where they lose the conference tournament and there are nine. They win it, they might stay an eight. If you're an eight seed, you know what happens in the second round. You got to play the one seed. So you'd almost rather be a ten. And you <laughs> maybe the twelve seed was better after all. But we'll see what happens when we get to the tournament. Uh, it, Murray State is a really good team, though, and I don't think people quite understand that just because they play in a weak conference doesn't mean that teams in that conference haven't lost in the past. Uh, Belmont has been a team that's made the tournament and had decent success, almost pulled off upsets here and there. Uh, Murray State themselves doing that. And overall, the Ohio Valley Conference is pretty good, honestly. It's one of the better non-mid-major or non-major conferences. Obviously, the West Coast Conference has Gonzaga carrying it. But other than that, I mean, I couldn't say many conferences that are better than it. Uh, But moving on from Murray State, let's go to a major program, number 20, Texas, 
who beat West Virginia 82-81 to on the road. This is a very close game, although since we're talking about the tournament, it, it does stand to mention that Texas is still on the revenge tour from losing to Abilene Christian last year in the first round. So, uh, sorry, Texas fans, but that did happen, and I haven't forgotten. Let's move on to another team who had a terrible loss early in the tournament. Number 15, Illinois, who's still looking to avenge a loss to Loyola Chicago in the second round of the tournament last year as a one seed, beat Michigan 93-85 to on the road. I don't think anybody who's arguing that this team is better than last year's team knows anything of what they're talking about, but I would not be surprised if this team went a lot farther than last year's team did into the tournament. I don't see this Illinois team losing in the round of 32. If they do, this is a massive waste of talent the last two years that Illinois had if they can't make it to the Sweet 16 once. Uh, This is pretty much the opposite of maximizing your potential, Uh, but I don't think it's going to happen. They were one of your picks who outside of the top 20 in Ken Palm defensive and offensive efficiency, could win the title. I don't disagree with that entirely. I think there are some other stronger teams there, but they got to be at least a Sweet 16 team. I, I, I be, But th- this team can kind of be a head-scratcher. You never really know. Uh, Alfonso Plummer is just a flamethrower on offense, and then all of a sudden, just because his defense isn't great, even when Illinois needs offense late in games, Brad Underwood just refuses to go to him because he just does not play... Uh, the defense that some of their other wings from the bench do. So I, I can't explain what's going to happen to Illinois. I don't know what's going to happen. I thought that there was no way they'd lose to Loyola Chicago. I thought they were a terrible matchup for them, uh, that Loyola Chicago was a terrible matchup for Illinois last year, but they ended up doing that. So I, I could be wrong again. I, I definitely have to say with their history in the tournament, I'm definitely not going to pick them to win a title, but uh, they, they, I, I think they should at least get to the Sweet 16 this year. But let's move on from them. To a team who did much more than get to the Sweet 16 last year. See, look at my transitions from last year. I like this a lot. Number three, Baylor, the defending national champions, beat number 21, Texas, 68-61 to on the road. Uh, Baylor is probably going to end up winning the Big 12. I would not be surprised if they win it. I don't know if they can win it outright, actually, technically, by tiebreakers and whatnot. And I don't think Kansas is going to lose enough for that to be a possibility. But Baylor is definitely the best team in the Big 12 right now. Uh, and I think I was an idiot for picking Texas Tech to win the regular season championship over Baylor when I did because I was high on Baylor when everybody else was low on them as they were losing a bunch of games. But uh, if you look at Texas Tech's schedule, you can see why I picked them. But anyway, let's move on from that. Baylor, a really, really good team, and let's move on to those Texas Tech Red Raiders that I was just talking about. Number 12, Texas Tech beat Kansas State 73-68. to uh, A good win for Texas Tech, not exactly resume booster. Uh, it's not terrible to be close with a team as good as Kansas State because, honestly, I don't think there's a single team in the Big 12 that isn't a good enough team that a close win or a close loss is going to kill your resume. I mean, there are a few that maybe at home if you lost to, it wouldn't be great for you, but there's no re- there, there's no such thing as a resume-killing game in the Big 12 this year. I think the worst team is West Virginia, who has a Hall of Fame-level coach. Uh, and that's all you need to know about the Big 12 this year. That is the best conference top to bottom. Maybe not the best conference when you want to talk about the the, the middle of it, but uh, definitely if you're going for overall depth, that is the best conference. But let's move on to the second best conference. Number 10, Wisconsin, beat number 8, Purdue, 70-67. to 67. Uh, There's an argument to be made that the Big East is better than the Big 10 at the top, which is probably true. But, uh, and you know, some people are actually saying that this is one of the worst years the Big 10's had in a while, which I don't entirely disagree with, and yet somehow... It still feels like this conference is at least the third best conference. You could argue the SEC, honestly. I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with that. But uh, 
in my mind, they're still the second best just because the middle of this conference is just so brutal. And there are still really good playmakers on the lower end teams. Think of a Jamison battle at Minnesota as one of those guys for sure. Uh, Bryce McGowan's on Nebraska, who's going to be a really high draft pick and one of the probably the best freshmen in the maybe not in the country, but one of the better, at least the best one in the Big Ten. I'll say that. Obviously not in the country now that I think about the freshmen <laughs> there this year. But uh, Wisconsin seals the regular season title with, the, or at least clinches a share of it with this win over Purdue off of one bank shot, lean in two. And one bank shot three to end the game, which is uh, a fitting end. And also, by the way, Jaden Ivey did tie the game with, uh, what, three or four seconds left in between that. So don't worry, Purdue's clutch factor isn't gone. It's just that they had to uh, play defense against banked-in banked threes, which is almost an impossible task. But let's move on from that to number 11, Villanova beating number 9, Providence 76-74. to 74. Yes, you just heard that Providence played in another close game. No, you did not hear them winning at this time. They finally lost a close game. The close game Kings who beat the close game, I guess, I don't know, second place runner-up Kings, the loser of the of the close game King election, Wisconsin. Yes, Wisconsin has only lost one close game this year. That was to Providence. Uh, they're 12-1 on the year in close games, only lost to Providence. Providence has now lost another one of these games, but you can't blow this team out. It, it, and the one thing is, People can say what they want to say about Providence not being able to actually really put teams away and whatnot, but no one also has beaten them except for Villanova in close games either. So the fact of the matter is, they're a lot better than what people are giving them credit for. And any team who you think, oh, well, if they were close against, I don't know, name a team in the Big East, Xavier, then why wouldn't they be close against Iowa? Well, you can make that argument over and over again, but the fact of the matter is, Iowa hasn't necessarily, and I'm not picking on Iowa, this is just a random example, no team other than maybe Wisconsin has been in as many close games as Providence, and Providence wins almost all of them. So their experience in those games, it it makes it that you can play them as close as you want, but they're going to end up with the win anyway because they're used to winning like that, and they know what to do in those scenarios. So Providence is going to be one of the more battle-tested teams going into the tournament. Uh, The Big East has been a real big grind this year, the whole year. And they have found a way to make it even worse by making pretty much every single game a nail-biter. I would hate to be a Providence fan right now, other than the fact that they did win the Big East for the first time in their program's history. But let's move on from that to number 14, Arkansas, who played a very, very close game uh, against LSU, beating LSU 77-76. to uh, I mean, look, there's a lot of things I could say about this game, but I don't want to hang on some negatives about play calling this and and bad, bad plays drawn up, and LSU not exactly doing what they can do with all the talent that's on their team right now. Let's just talk about this. Arkansas is really, really surging. They're becoming a title contender, honestly. They were a title contender, not necessarily a title contender preseason, but people forgot that this team really, they lost Moses Moody, but other than Moses Moody, they did not lose that much production. They still have Jalen Williams. They still have uh, Debo Davis. They still have... Uh, J.D. Note, and they also added in guys from the transfer portal like Stanley Amude that are really big contributors for this team. And overall, this is a really good Arkansas team. They're pretty balanced, too. And I, I like what Arkansas has. I honestly don't think... Look, I told you that I think Kentucky's going to win the national championship, and yet I picked against them when I picked Arkansas. If you don't, if you want to know how much I believe in Arkansas, I picked them against my, t- against my title pick right now. So... Let's leave it at that and move on to Creighton beating number 18 UConn, 64-62. to uh, A really close game, another close game in the Big East. That is what this conference has been made for this year. And uh, 
Creighton pretty much sealing themselves into the tournament with this win. They, they, they're they not on the bubble at all. Uh, they maybe were one of those teams that were, if you were doing the hypothetical last four buys, they would be the fifth or sixth buy, I guess you could say, but they're now really shooting up that board with that win over UConn. Uh, it's a big win. They're probably up to a place where I don't really think they could miss the tournament unless they lose their last game, and I don't even know who they play, but they must have to play a really, really bad team at home and lose, and then also lose to the worst possible team in the Big East. They must, they might have to lose to Georgetown in the tournament to actually lose uh, lose their spot in the tournament. I think they're pretty secure. But let's move on to a team, actually two teams, who are not secure whatsoever. Rutgers beat Indiana 66-63. This was an all-important bubble matchup. I would say winner of this game is at the top of the last four in. Loser of this game is maybe out, especially if you're Indiana. Well, Rutgers won it. Rutgers is at the top of my last four in, as you'll see in a second. And then Indiana is on my, is out of the tournament, as you'll see also in a second. But I guess I just spoiled that. Uh, so while I'm on that topic, I guess I'll breeze through these next few games so that we can get onto that bubble talk. Number six, Kansas beat TCU 72-68 in the second game of that little home-and-home, home, as I'm calling it. And then number 20, Illinois beat Penn State 60-55. to Almost had a really bad loss on senior night, kind of like Alabama, except for this one would be probably even worse. All right. Well, I'm not as good as transition at transitions as you are, especially how adept you were there with those close games going from conference to conference, team to team. So I'll just say let's move on to other important matchups. Well, this one's important for the bubble and the top of the tournament. Uh, number 14, Houston beat SMU 75-61. to SMU kind of needed this game. I mean, it's hard to beat Houston on the road. Obviously, it's hard to beat Houston, period. But a win at Houston would have been the ultimate resume booster for SMU. They have a season sweep over Memphis. They have a win over Houston. But the American is just not good enough for that to be enough to get you into the tournament this year. And that's their situation. And they have some bad-ish losses without that. Their non-conference is not entirely strong. Uh, so we're going to end up with SMU probably out of the tournament. Honestly, we'll talk about their scenario to make it later, but let's move on to a team who I have to talk about a lot because I, I think I might've made a mistake, uh, picking Kentucky. I think, uh, I think, I don't know if Benedict Matherin likes my podcast or something, but Arizona is on fire right now. After that loss to Colorado, I think it somehow set them off. It flipped a switch. This team is playing like crazy. They have been even, even well, before that Colorado game too, I think that was actually one of the reasons why I didn't have them as my title contender because that game kind of gave me some pause about them. But they beat USC 91-71 to on the road. This game at halftime was 51-27. to Arizona is absolutely killing teams. Doesn't matter who it is. They've locked up the Pac-12 title already. They have a season sweep of USC. They have a season sweep of Oregon. They have a season they, they I think they split their series with UCLA, and their only other conference loss is to Colorado. They beat a lot of teams that, I mean, look, this team had a, I mean, honestly, this team kind of reminded me of in the COVID-canceled year, there was Michigan who beat Gonzaga, who was currently, no, who was at the time number one in the battle for Atlantis uh, in the Bahamas and shot up from like 25th to 9th in one week. And it was the highest jump ever or 25th to like fourth or something. Even I forget what it was. Yeah. Or no, from unranked Unranked. to fourth. Yeah, actually. And, uh, by the way, that record's never getting beat. No one's ever jumping 22 spots in a week, but Arizona, speaking of Michigan, beat Michigan in that tournament in Vegas after beating Wichita state, when we all thought Wichita state might be a borderline tournament team and beat Michigan, who was a preseason top five team. And people started to take this Arizona team seriously 
But I guess no one took them seriously enough because here they are still sitting as probably the number two overall team. Uh, if you're looking at the best, the one seed that I think has the best chance to win it all, I'm taking Arizona. I think, honestly, right behind Kentucky in my mind is Arizona. And it is there. there is not much separation there. Uh, any loss from either team probably <laughs> flip-flops it for me. And also, I honestly don't see any team that's right behind them, to be quite honest. I think every other team has significant issues. Arizona has so many different... Every single player... I, I don't think they have a player who I would call similar to another player on their roster. And I also don't think they have one player who's really easily really easily guarded by anybody, by any team. You can't really scheme for one player because that means you're not scheming well for another. Arizona just has a lot of versatility and they're very, very hard to play against. Uh, and look, th- there's not much to be said other than that. So let's move on. Talked about Michigan twice without talking about a Michigan game. So here we go. Number 24, Iowa beat Michigan 82-71 to on the road. Uh, this game... Almost ended up in close games. It was close at the end, but Iowa was also winning by 17 at the half, and they were also winning by 11 at the first media timeout, so I figured I'll just put it in other important because it also was a double-digit game, and I have other double-digit games here that probably aren't really that... Uh, or I only, I, All those other games in the close games, I mean, I think the largest margin is like 7 or something, so it didn't feel fair to call that a close game with all the close games we've had last week. But Iowa... Really surging. I was wrong about Iowa. I, I actually don't think I ever voiced it on the podcast, but in other conversations that I honestly didn't think this team was deserving of being ranked, but it wasn't really because of their talent level. It was more of the fact that they got ranked after they went like one and one in a week, and here they are moving up one slot from pretty much doing nothing again. But, or, or no, actually, other way around. They got ranked after being one and one in a week, and then now that they've won five in a row, they've only moved up one spot, which is just stupid to me. But they've won eight of nine, They've won five in a row. They beat Ohio State on the road. And by the way, we'll talk about the confusingness of that in a second. And they beat Michigan on the road now. they have Their one loss, by the way, is to Michigan at home. But they've now avenged that loss. And really, they could be a team that wins the Big Ten tournament and shoots up and shoots up the, uh, the seed list. Because honestly, this team did not have many quad one wins, didn't have many great wins until they started playing this tough stretch down the road at the end of the season in the Big Ten. And they've now been better in that stretch than they were in kind of they're not easy part of the schedule, but they're, you know, I'd say medium part of the schedule. And honestly, it's crazy to me that Iowa's played it so well at the end of the season, but here they are. Uh, they're here to say, I will say, and uh, I don't really know where they're going to end up in the tournament. They're really volatile because their resume was not strong early in the year. Now it's been stronger. Uh, they might, I, I just said, I think they might be a team that really surges up with a good Big Ten tournament performance. So we'll see might where that might land them. And look, there's a lot of variability when it comes to Iowa, but let's move on to a team that uh, defines an ultimate variability. Number 23, Ohio State, beats Michigan State 80-69. to uh, I'm just going to go here for a second and talk about what Ohio State has done in their last five games, because the reality is this is about the weirdest five-game five stretch that I think I've ever seen from any Big Ten team. Uh, and I think I'm never going to pick a game of theirs again because I just don't understand what's going to happen. Uh, they beat, sorry, they beat Minnesota. And we'll go back even further than that. They lost to Rutgers on the road. And then you thought, okay, they started taking things more seriously. They beat Michigan by double digits on the road in a big rivalry game. They beat Minnesota by 25, held them to 45 points. But then all of a sudden they lost to Iowa at home by 13 when Iowa was not really surging just yet this was and by the way this was right after Iowa had lost to Michigan at home 
Then they played Indiana so close that the game went to overtime. And yet somehow, even as a microcosm of this, even in that game, they went to overtime after winning, after leading by 12, and then won by double digits in overtime, which makes no sense. Then they went on the road and beat Illinois. And then you think, wow, this team's really turning it around. After that Iowa game, they flipped a switch again. And then they lose to Maryland by 15 and Nebraska by eight at home. So now you're thinking, what is Ohio State doing? This team is really the opposite of peaking at the right time. They're slumping at the wrong time. And then they come out here and they beat Michigan State by 11. So I honestly don't have analysis. I just wanted to let people know that that's what happened because uh, they're having a roller coaster of a end of, of an end of a season right now. And uh, who knows where it might land? It might end up with a, with a four seed and a loss in the first round. Uh, they better hope Oral Roberts isn't in the bracket again because then they're really in trouble because then they might lose again to that team. Uh, I don't think they will be, by the way. But uh, <laughs> look, I don't know what's going to happen to Ohio State, and it feels like it's almost perfect that the year after losing as a two seed to a 15 seed that a team does this at the end of the year. And look, I have no idea where they're going to end up, but uh, it'll be fun regardless as long as you're not an Ohio State fan who's probably having a heart attack every single game because you have no idea what they're going to do. You can't even expect them to beat Nebraska. All right, well, that wraps up our look back at last week's college basketball action. Let's stay with college basketball and turn our attention to the NCAA tournament bubble heading into the last week of uh, regular season and conference championship play before Selection Sunday. So let's have you, Patrick, run through uh, who you have as the last four buys uh, in the tournament, the last four in, the first four out, and the next four out. Starting with Wake Forest at the top of the last four buys list, then you have San Francisco, then you have North Carolina, then you have Michigan as the last of the last four buys. In the last four in, you have Xavier, who's had a meteoric drop with a bunch of losses in a row at the end of the year. Uh, They are pretty much probably the worst trend that any team has in all of basketball. Uh, At least Ohio State managed that win against Michigan State. Xavier is just in free fall right now. Uh, Rutgers, Memphis, And then Loyola Chicago currently as the last team in, uh, especially after they got that win earlier today in the, in the, why did I almost call it the Big West, Uh, the Missouri Valley (laughs) Conference tournament against Bradley. Uh, If they had lost that game, I think that would seal them as a non-tournament team. And I was going to say that if they did, but uh, they won that game. So good enough to stay in the, stay in the conversation for now. Then you have Indiana in the first four out. BYU also there with SMU and Florida at the bottom of that category. And then the next four out, which honestly at this point in the year is really, really tough to get out of. VCU, Virginia Tech, Oregon, and Texas A&M after their win against Alabama. Although Dayton is close behind Texas A&M on that list. And uh, a loss by any of those teams with Dayton winning the game will probably put Dayton pretty high up there. And uh, we'll see what they can do in the A-10 tournament themselves. But since they're not on there, I will not talk about what they're going to do. Well, as you look ahead, uh, what do these teams have in front of them? What obstacles do they need to clear? Uh, What opportunities do they have to build their resume or maybe slip out of a banana peel? Well, uh, Wake Forest looks at the ACC tournament with many borderline quad one and two wins available. Honestly, they should be in as long as they avoid a bad loss. They're actually done with the regular season. They're, I think, the odd team out when the ACC has 15 teams. So all of them are playing uh, their last game on Saturday, except for Wake Forest, who's already done. Uh, but they end 13-7 and seven in conference. And honestly, a really, really good year for that program. All they need to do is just make sure they don't lose to, what, I think you'd say a Pitt? And uh, who else is even in that conference at the bottom? Maybe a Syracuse probably falls into that category. 
Uh, there are worse teams who I'm forgetting because Louisville, there are worse teams who I'm forgetting because they're just so forgetful. NC State's one of them. Uh, but th- they should be in. I think they're pretty secure, especially because of the fact that when you're at this point, the less games you have, the better. As long as you have no opportunities to trip and fall, you can't really fall out of the bracket entirely. But let's move on to San Francisco. They also must avoid a bad loss in the WCC tournament. Anything non-quad one puts them in danger of missing the tournament. However, the difference between Wake Forest and San Francisco is actually that San Francisco can't really boost their resume much unless they somehow miraculously find a way to beat Gonzaga. Uh, But as long as they lose to BYU and BYU comes out of beating uh, Loyal Marymount tonight and then plays them, I think that's honestly even a fine enough loss that I think it might be quad two neutral. Maybe it's quad one if they're lucky, but that loss would be probably fine enough that they would still make it. Uh, But who knows? The tournament, not necessarily friendly to small conference teams, and also you never know what happens when bids start getting stolen. But let's move on from San Francisco. North Carolina solidifies themselves by as in by beating Duke tomorrow. They have zero chance of missing the tournament if they beat Duke tomorrow. However, their one big hole in their resume is the fact that they are 1-7 against Quad 1. If they picked up a high Quad 1 win like Duke, now you're really looking at Yes, they still have weaknesses, but it's not as terrible as it could be. But the reality is, let's say that in all likelihood in Coach K's final game with 80 players in attendance, uh, final regular season game, final game in Cameron, a $5,000 ticket price on average. Let's just say Duke probably does not lose that game. Uh, I won't go ahead and jinx them because that would be really terrible, but I'm going to go ahead and say I'm pretty confident in them not losing that game. So with that scenario in mind, they likely need a win or two, depending on the opponents in the ACC tournament, to be safe just again because the bid stealers of Murray State loses in their conference tournament final, then all of a sudden there will be two teams from the OVC, and that shrinks the bubble by a team. Now you have Loyola Chicago out. If Loyola Chicago wins, if sorry, if Loyola Chicago loses in the finals, now all of a sudden they're taking a bubble spot because Northern Iowa is going to take that auto bid, maybe if that that's the team that comes out of that bracket. So there's a lot of scenarios where I would say the last four buys is really the only way you can be safe, and even then you still have to play in the last four in. The easiest way is for North Carolina to beat Duke. Uh, well, easiest on paper, not easiest in terms of actual game scenarios, but uh, if they're able to beat a Wake Forest, if they're able to beat a Virginia Tech on the neutral floor at the ACC tournament, a lot of those teams are hanging around in the 30-50 to 50 range in the net. Uh, that that's going to be good enough for them to be in the tournament for sure. But let's move on to Michigan, who has a lot of opportunities left, but also a lot of easy opportunities to lose. Michigan needs one win, and they're in at the bottom of the last four in 100%, even including bid sealers in my mind. With a loss to Ohio State on Sunday, a first-round Big Ten tournament game with Indiana would be another quad one opportunity unless Indiana slips up. And if they go one and one in those and lose to Wisconsin, that should be enough to keep them in. It wouldn't be comfortable. It would definitely be... Uh, a very uncomfortable selection Sunday for the Wolverines, but if they go 2-1 and one or better against Ohio State and anyone seated higher than Indiana or Indiana themselves in the Big Ten tournament, they will secure a bye likely as a low-end 10 seed or even a high-end 10 or a very low-end 9. But let's move on from that. Xavier needs a win against Georgetown. A loss against Georgetown means they're out, barring a really, really good Big East run just because of the fact that even though the committee does not do what they used to do a long time ago, which is way the ten, the last 10 games of the season above the rest of the season, the way they've been at the end of the season is just horrendous. And I think it's impossible when you're looking at the eye test because the eye test is a factor. If you only looked at important Xavier games and you're looking at the end of the season, 
You're saying this team is getting worse as the season goes on. There is no way you can justify them being in the tournament if they lose to Georgetown, who hasn't won a Big East game in 90 days. They will likely at least need one more win in the Big East tournament regardless, honestly, just because of the fact that these other teams have so many opportunities to get big wins. Uh, But the Big East has a lot of good teams in it, so it's not like there aren't uh, good wins to be had there. And I think they might be able to get one if they start playing better. Now let's move on to Rutgers, who must beat Penn State and win one Big Ten tournament game to secure a spot in the last four in and a very deep run to secure a bye. Probably we need to get past any of whoever ends up in the top four in the Big Ten, either whether that's Wisconsin or Purdue or Illinois, whoever they're matched up with, they're going to need to beat that team. Uh, if they want to at least if they want to get a buy that's what they're going to need to do but let's move on to Memphis who must beat Houston either on Sunday or late in the American tournament otherwise they'll most likely fall victim to a bid stealer or a team like Indiana taking their spot Indiana obviously having more opportunities for good wins and I will say Memphis is very susceptible to bad losses because of how bad overall their t- conference is and also if you don't beat Houston now you're looking at two losses at the end of the year where you, you sandwich in a bunch of quad two and quad three wins with two quad one losses. I don't know if that's even going to be enough because someone's going to steal a bit or two and then all of a sudden you're really looking at some trouble there. Uh, so Memphis probably needs to beat Houston tomorrow. That's probably the best idea because, well, it's a home game. It's probably the easiest game they're going to have uh, against Houston. Obviously, neutral court, a little more favor to uh, a non-upset. But let's move on from that. Loyola Chicago can only guarantee a spot likely in the 10 to 11 seed range by winning the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament with a loss anywhere before a potential finals matchup with Northern Iowa. I think they're out, period. It's that simple to me. The only loss they can afford is to Northern Iowa, but then they need a lot of help from other teams. They need a team like Memphis to lose both those games to Houston, maybe even lose before even reaching Houston in the conference tournament. Uh, You need Rutgers to probably choke against Penn State and lose some more games in the Big Ten tournament. You need a Xavier to lose against Georgetown, most likely. They need a lot of bad losses because every other team is trending towards picking up quad one losses only. Northern Iowa, I believe, is a quad two, if not quad three loss in on a neutral side, even if they win the conference. It still doesn't matter. Uh, and then for Indiana, a road win against Purdue might be enough on its own to put the Hoosiers in. Uh, it'd give them a pretty good chance, at least. With the loss, they need to beat someone in quad one in the Big Ten tournament. And probably would need an extra win on top of that. They would, if they're seated and if they end up seated where they are right now, they need to beat Michigan, who is currently seated to play against them, and probably Wisconsin to guarantee their spot. Because I don't think one win against Michigan on a neutral court overrules that home loss to Michigan and the home loss to Rutgers. So uh, overall, they also have some Big Ten opposition that will take spots from them and the bid Steelers to fight through, and they're already not on the right side of the bracket or on the of the bubble. So they need some help too. BYU must beat LMU and San Francisco to have a chance at the tournament. A loss to either of them knocks them out for sure, while going farther than those two rounds of beating Gonzaga would likely propel them to the top of the last four in. But I don't know if that's going to happen, let's be quite honest. Uh, Even when Gonzaga has uh, not necessarily had down years, but has had rough stretches and BYU's been there as as the second best team in the WCC, They still haven't managed to beat them, so I'm not so confident that they're going to do that this year out of all years. Uh, But let's move on from that. SMU needs to beat Tulane and likely needs to outperform Memphis with a win over Houston to go with it in the American tournament. The best case scenario for SMU is for Memphis to be on their side of the bracket and for Houston to be in the finals. If they want a fighter's chance at not winning the auto bid and getting in, they need to play Houston in the finals. And it needs to be a very, 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 very close game 
and they also need to beat Memphis in the best competition the American has to offer in terms of the net on the way there to actually improve their resume. So uh, they're looking like this is the first team that I would say has a very unlikely chance of making the tournament at this point, which if you're on the right side of the bubble, you say that's a good thing. But on the other hand, bid sealers have a better chance of getting in than you do. So hold off on thinking that your team is safe, especially if you're, I don't know, a Xavier or Michigan or uh, North Carolina, especially. Uh, and then let's move on. Florida will be knocking on the door of securing a last four in bid with a win over Kentucky. They might even be in. I'd have to see what happens in other games. Honestly, I can't say it without balancing it with other games. However, otherwise they need to look to beat two of the SEC's top four or five in the conference tournament to have a chance at a bid. That would be looking at Kentucky again, Tennessee, Arkansas, uh, LSU probably, and obviously Auburn. And then between LSU and Alabama, you can kind of debate who else they would need, but it depends on that net and who's ranked higher. They need those games to be quad one. They need two of those games to be quad one, and then they need to lose to really someone at the very, very top of the conference, either Auburn, Arkansas, uh, Tennessee, or Kentucky, to actually avoid winning the conference tournament and still getting in. Let's move on to VCU. They need to win at St. Louis to end to beat Davidson in the conference tournament. I think that's the easiest way in uh, without making it all the way to the, or without winning the finals. They probably need to also at least get to the finals too to ensure the loss wouldn't uh, keep them out because of how bad the loss might be. Now let's move on to Virginia Tech. They need to win at Clemson and then a strong showing in the ACC tournament. I would estimate likely a run to the semifinals to have a chance. I think because of who they would have in their way in the semifinals, maybe if you lose to a Duke in the semifinals, I don't know how the bracket's going to turn out again. I can't like see these brackets in my head. They, they, well, first of all, they don't exist yet because the season isn't over. But even if I did know how it was going to turn out, if Virginia Tech gets Duke on their side and they end up going to the semifinals and they lose to Duke, I don't really think that's a big deal. If they get to the semifinals by beating Duke and lose to, I don't know, a hot North Carolina team that ends up winning the tournament or uh, even maybe a Miami kind of a team or, or Wake Forest or Notre Dame, I think they'd honestly be fine. But they at least they at least need that win at Clemson. They need a win either against Duke in the tournament or against any combination of Miami, Wake Forest, Notre Dame, and North Carolina, two of those teams they would need, and then a loss to Duke. But let's move on, finally, to Oregon, who needs to take out Washington State on the road and tomorrow, uh, or on the road tomorrow, and also needs multiple wins over Arizona, USC, and UCLA in the Pac-12 tournament to get in two of those three. However, getting those wins might require going all the way to the finals, if not winning the tournament entirely. And I do have to say, they just suffered a loss to Washington. That was a resume killer. If they had not suffered that loss... They honestly might only need to beat one of those teams again to just show that, I mean, if they had a season series sweep over UCLA, that would be uh, that would be something. But unfortunately, that's not uh, going to be enough at this point, even if they do get that season sweep, because of the fact that they had that loss to Washington. They've really had some inexplicable losses all year long. Finally, let's get to Texas A&M. They need a win against Mississippi State to end the year. And also, just like Florida, two wins over the SEC's top four or five in the conference tournament if they want to have a chance. So overall, you're looking at a lot of teams that need to make the semifinals by beating a lot of teams that are a lot more talented than them. I just mentioned maybe uh, probably almost all of the top four or five seeds in the tournament uh, that I'm saying these teams need to beat. And reminder, these teams are on the boat. They're not exactly the quality of teams that has that have been beating these types of teams all year long. If they were, they wouldn't be on the bubble, right? So uh, it's going to be a tough road for any of these teams, uh, obviously, any bad loss, any slip up of your Rutgers and loss to Penn State is going to be really, really bad for your resume. Any of these losses could be catastrophic for any of these teams. So uh, 
They need to make sure that they get that good seeding, finish the season right, uh, play good teams in the tournament, hope that it goes your way, hope that you get the highest ranked net opponent, net net ranking. That's kind of funny that the bracket's called the net because I'm trying to say net as in overall, but I can't say it because it's the net ranking. Uh, but hope that you get the highest average net ranking bracket that you could possibly get and hope that you just run through it. And obviously, all of these teams do have the capability, I will say, honestly. I can't see a single one of these teams that can't win their conference tournament. There is a scenario in which all of them could win the conference tournament. There are certain matchups that I don't think some of these teams are capable of winning. I don't think Indiana is capable of taking out uh, an Illinois or a Wisconsin while also beating someone like Purdue and Ohio State on the road at the same time. I don't think that's possible. I, I don't. That it would be really, really hard for that to happen. I don't know if Oregon's necessarily the quality of beating Arizona and, and USC or Arizona and UCLA, whatever combination of those two it happens to be. Uh, I think they need some help of Arizona being upset. But honestly, it's still possible that any of these teams could win their conference tournament. That's always the easiest road. Just win your way in. Just win, baby, as a, as a prominent owner might say. All right, that will end this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, March 7th, where we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions and have our weekly deep dive into the NBA. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his weekend predictions that were posted Thursday, an updated NCAA basketball tournament bracket, which is posted on Saturdays, and his article predicting the regular season champions of every conference in college basketball, which we should be able to check the accuracy of very soon. All that's on yep, our website. Yep, by Sunday it'll all be done, actually. That's right. Uh, all that's on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.